0: And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's November 29th, 333rd day of the year. 32 days remain to the year's over with. Howdy's observances is it's National Square Dancing Day. So if you got a square, go dance. Isdale Woman Day, Electronic Greeting Day, Rockefeller Center Christmas um, tree lighting. Good half a sentence. I gotta be more careful in writing my notes. Package Protection Day, National Chocolate Day, International Jaguar Day, Throw Out Your Leftovers Day, National Lemon Cream Pie Day, Blue Christmas, which uh, honors uh, first responders. Lung Cancer Awareness Month. National Children's Month. World Vegan Month. National Peanut Butter Lover's Month. Movember. National Epilepsy Awareness Month. National Native American Heritage Month. Manatee Awareness Month. National Pomegranate Month. National Novel Writing Month. And National Adoption Month. Been, uh following an interesting story turns out they've discovered fraud in election um, both national and local in numerous states and uh, I mean I think it was Arizona where they found a truck on the side of the street with 80,000 Democratic ballots in it not a single Republican ballot nobody knows who left the truck there but it was decided they had to count those votes, uh, which makes you wonder uh, how honest our elections are. Okay, um, 561 A.D. Following the death of King Clothar I at uh, Compiègne, his four sons. Uh, Sharibert I, Guntram, Sigebert I, and Silperic I divide the Frankish kingdom. 618, the Tang dynasty scores a decisive victory over their rival, Zuringayo, at the Battle of uh, Shuyan In 903 AD, the Abbasid army under Muhammad ibn Suleiman al Khatib defeats the uh, Karmatians at the, the Battle of Hama fourteen a large earthquake damages the areas of the uh, Crusaders in the Middle East. Antioch, Amistra, Marash, and Edessa are hit by uh, shocks. 1549, the Papal Conclave of 1549 begins. 1612, the Battle of Swali takes place, which loosens the Portuguese Empire's hold on India. 1729 Natchez Indians massacre 138 Frenchmen, 35 French women, and 56 children at Fort Rosalie uh, near the site of modern-day Natchez, Mississippi. 1732 The magnitude 6.6 Irpinia earthquake causes 1,940 deaths in the former kingdom of Naples in southern Italy. 1776 During the American Revolutionary War, the Battle of Fort Cumberland, Nova Scotia, comes to an end with the arrival of British reinforcements. 1777 um, san jose california is founded as pueblo de san jose de guadalupe by jose joaquin moraga it's the first civilian settlement or pueblo in alta california 1781 the crew of the british slave ship zong murders 54 africans by dumping them in the sea to claim insurance beginning the zong massacre The The Zong Massacre, uh, just to give you a little um, more specificity, was a mass killing of more than 130 enslaved African people by the crew of the British slave ship Zong on in in the days following, November 29th. Uh, William Gregson Slave Trading Syndicate, based in Liverpool, owned the ship as part of the Atlantic Slave Trade and it was, as was common business practices, they had taken out insurance on the lives of the enslaved Africans as uh, carried his cargo. According to the crew, when the ship ran their own drinking water following navigational mistakes, the crew threw them overboard. After the, the ship reached port at Black River, Jamaica, the Zong's owners made a claim to their insurers for the loss of the enslaved Africans. When the insurers refused to pay, the resulting court case uh, Held that under some circumstances, the murder of enslaved Africans was legal and insurance should be required to pay for those who had died. The jury found out uh had found for the slavers, but at a subsequent appeal uh, hearing, the judges led by Lord Chief Justice the Earl of Mansfield, ruled against the syndicate owners due to new evidence that suggested the captain and crew weren't fault it's uh always interesting to uh um, See how folks try to skirt the law. Um, I'm dealing with a situation like that right now. The um, 1783 5.3 magnitude earthquake strikes New Jersey. 1807 John VI of Portugal flees Lisbon from advancing Napoleonic forces during the Peninsula War. Transferring the Portuguese court to Brazil. 1830. Armed rebellion against Russia's rule in Poland begins. 1847. The Sonderbund is defeated by the joint forces of other Swiss cantons under General Guillaume-Henri Dufour. The Sanderbund, for those that are not familiar with it, was a civil war in Switzerland. Uh, then still a relatively loose confederacy of cantons. It ensued after seven Catholic cantons formed the Sundebund, or separate alliance, in eighteen forty five, to protect their interest against the centralization of power. War concluded with the defeat of the Sonderbund. It resulted in the emergence of Switzerland as a federal state, concluding the period of political restoration and generation in Switzerland. Uh, the Sonderbund uh, specifically consisted of the cantons of Lucerne, Fribourg, Valais, Uri, Swins, Unterwalden, and Zug, all predominantly Catholic and governed by conservative administrations. The cantons of Ticino and Solothurn, also predominantly Catholic, were governed by liberal administrations, didn't join any alliance. Well... Eighteen forty-seven, missionaries Dr. Marcus Whitman, his wife Narcissa, and fifteen others are killed by Cayuse and Umatilla Indians, causing the Cayuse War. Eighteen fifty, the Treaty punctua- Punctuation of Ommults was signed in uh, Lamuk, Prussia. Uh, capitulates to Austria, which want to take over the leadership of the German Confederation. 1863 Union forces under Ambrose Burnside successfully defend Knoxville, Tennessee for Confederate forces under James Longstreet in the Battle of Fort Sanders in the American Civil War. 1864 Colorado Volunteers under Colonel John Chivington Massacre at least 150 Cheyenne and Apache non-combatants inside Colorado Territory. Chivington Massacre was uh, very well known in the West. Eighteen sixty-four, Confederate Army of Tennessee misses an opportunity to crush the Army of Ohio at the Battle of Spring Hill. Eighteen seventy-two, the Monarch War begins with the Battle of the Lost River. Eighteen seventy-seven, Thomas Edison demonstrates his phonograph for the first time. Eighteen ninety, the Meiji Constitution goes into effect in Japan, and the first Diet convenes. Eighteen ninety-nine, FC Barcelona is founded by Catalan, Spanish, and English. That it develops on one of the Spain's, uh, Spanish football's most uh, iconic and strongest teams. Well, there we go. 1829, U.S. Admiral Richard E. Byrd leads the first expedition to fly over the South Pole. 1943, the second session of the Anti Fascist Council for the National Liberation of Yugoslavia. Held to determine the post-war ordering of the country concludes in uh, Jassy, uh, present-day Bosnia and Herzegovina. 1844, Albania is liberated by the partisans. 1845, the Federal Rep- People's Republic of Yugoslavia is declared. Uh, 1847, the United Nations General Assembly approves a plan for the partition of Palestine. Also in 18, four, mm-hmm. level, one more time. 1947, French forces carry out a massacre at uh, Maitrak, Vietnam, during the First Indochina War. 1952, President-elect Dwight D. Eisenhower fulfills a um, campaign promise by traveling to Korea to find out what can be done to end the conflict. Nothing. 1961, Enos, a chimpanzee is launched into space. Spacecraft orbits the Earth twice and splashes down off the coast of Puerto Rico. Enos went over to be went on to be elected to Congress. Almost became Speaker. Only downside was he couldn't talk. Also, in 1963, President Lyndon I'm going to be King Johnson establishes the Warren Commission to investigate the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Interesting thing. Since I'm talking about that in the main segment of the show, uh, there's many who believe that uh, he gave the game plan to Earl Warren, and Earl Warren carried it out. The Lone Nut Gunman. Well, actually, two Lone Nut Gunmen Oswald and Ruby. Also in 1963, Trans-Canada Airlines Flight 831 crashes shortly after takeoff from Montreal-Dorval International Airport. Killed 118 people on board. 1963 also saw I Want to Hold Your Hand, recorded October 17, 1963, released by the Beatles in the U.K. 1967, Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara announces his resignation. I knew his donor in law if his son was anything like her. Lord have mercy. Uh, 1972, Atari uh, Atari releases Pong, the first commercially successful video game. 1986, the Surinamese military attacks the village of Moana during the Suriname Guerrilla War. Killed at least 39 civilians, mostly women and children. 1987, North Korean agents plant a bomb on Korean Air Flight 858, which kills all 115 passengers and crew. 2070, armed forces of the Philippines lay siege to the peninsula uh, Manila after soldiers led by Senator Antonio Trillian's uh, stage a mutiny. 2009, Maurice Clemens shoots and kills four police officers inside a coffee shop in Lakewood, Washington. And in 2013, LAM Mozambique Airlines for, uh, Flight 470 crashes in the National Park in a pilot mass murder-suicide. Killed all 33 people on board. The um, It's one of the first times that I'm aware of that uh, we had suicide by pilot which is basically defined as an aviation event in which a pilot literally crashes or attempts to crash an aircraft as a suicide act with or without the intention to cause harm to passengers on board or even people on the ground. Uh, If others are killed, it's considered a type of murder-suicide. And it's suspected to have been the possible cause in several commercial flight crashes and been confirmed as a cause in other instances. Determining the the motives of pilots, of course, can be challenging for crash investigators, as pilots may intentionally disable recording devices or engage in other actions to um, impede uh, future investigations. Now... It's another version of the... um, the kamikaze, which was a uh, pilot um, intentionally crashing into ground targets. Now, over the last few shows, we've been talking about what I've called the Kennedy murders. The assassination of John Kennedy, while officially determined to be a lone nut gunman, not a conspiracy, gave rise to over a hundred related murders that have never been really explained. Now, we talked yesterday about uh, Karen uh, Kupchenet, who uh, allegedly called him. Uh, the operator said Kennedy's going to be assassinated, and she was found dead in her apartment. We've also got uh, two newspaper reporters, Jim Coeth and Bill Hunter, who uh, were clearly related deaths. Uh, Coeth was killed by a karate chop to the neck. Supposedly he surprised the burglar, and the burglar killed him. Um... And with Bill Hunter, he was shot by a policeman in a police station. And it was immediately ruled accidental. Now, one of the things the burglar took from Coet's um, apartment were his notes on the Kennedy assassination for his planned book. And with Hunter... A policeman was reportedly playing around at quick draw with his weapon. Jerked it out of his holster and pointed it at Hunter and accidentally shot him. Killed him. It. Now it's interesting to note that Karen coop who died uh, allegedly of a broken neck wasn't the only victim to die of a broken neck. Uh, Jim Coenth was killed by karate chop to the neck as he was coming from the the shower in his bathroom. The similarities between his death and Kubchenitz are certainly quite obvious. Uh, Coenth was a reporter for the Dallas Times-Herald. And he was actively investigating the assassination of President Kennedy. In fact, he was in the process of writing a book about everything he'd found. Well, and then an occurrence that repeated itself through several of the different uh, related deaths... His notes vanished after his um, body was found. Now, police theorized robbery was the motive, although uh, his parents believe he was killed for other reasons. Whoever ransacked his apartment was careful to move his notes for the book he was working on, in collaboration with two other journalists on the Kennedy assassination. And a number of things that could have been easily converted to cash were left. Now, he was one of the few reporters who got access to Jack Ruby's apartment on the night of the, the day that uh, Ruby shot Oswald. The other reporter in Ruby's apartment that night was Bill Hunter. He's the one that was uh, killed by a police officer who was playing quick draw. His death ruled to be accidental. The officer was just horsing around, pointing a loaded gun at people. And then he pulled the trigger. Just an accident, don't you know? Well, Bill Hunter was a fairly well-known newspaper reporter. He worked for the Long Beach Independent uh, Press-Telegram. He was also covering the assassination story. He'd got flown out to Dallas to work the story, met up with Jim Coth, an old friend with whom he'd worked before. Now, it's not known at this point if the two discovered anything noteworthy in Jack Ruby's uh, Dallas apartment. Police ought to have been there earlier in the day, but uh, it's very, at the very least, it's a something of a bizarre coincidence. Both were reporters, both working on the assassination story, and both were examining the story of Jack Ruby shooting Oswald, both in Ruby's apartment, on the night of the day he murdered Oswald and both were murdered themselves and as I said Bill Hunter was shot by a policeman in a California police station both of the officers involved in the incident of uh, Hunter's death were sentenced to three years probation According to uh, author Bill Sloan, at about two in the morning, on the morning of April 23rd, 1964, Hunter was sitting at his desk in the press room in the Long Beach police station reading a mystery novel, When two detectives, both of whom described as friends, came into the room. Now, there was a lot of confusion over exactly what happened next. One officer is quoted as saying he dropped his gun, causing it to discharge as it struck the floor. Later on, he changed his story to say that he and the other detective were engaged in horseplay and with their loaded weapons when the tragedy occurred. Now, these are experienced police officers engaging in horseplay with loaded weapons. Whatever the case, a single shot rang out and hit Hunter went straight through the heart. Accidentally. Well, a lot of folks wondered whether that story might get changed as well. According to Bill Shelton, uh, his boss called him at 2 in the morning and told him Hunter had been shot. And he wasn't satisfied with the story that the cop dropped his gun and in fact, it turned out that wasn't what happened. Newspaper charged police for covering up the facts in the case, which Long Beach Police Chief William Mooney, of course, denied. But the city editor of Long Beach newspaper Hunter worked at stated he was still not satisfied with the official verdict. When asked if he thought there was a connection between Hunter's death and the Kennedy assassination, he declined to comment, adding the uh, the comment um, "But I would not believe anything. Well... You can call it a coincidence, but over a hundred coincidences are related to the Kennedy assassination. And there comes a point when coincidence occurs so frequently it actually becomes numerically prohibitive. Now the brother of that city editor who said, I'd believe anything, was one of many Dallas news reporters who'd covered the assassination and then immediately left the news profession. You know, those many reporters, one of whom had been asked to resign, made an interesting comment. Looks like a studied effort to remove all the knowledgeable newsmen who covered the assassination. Got to ask who would have the power to do that. So both Hunter and Coath had been at Jack Ruby's Downless apartment the day that Ruby shot Oswald. They went there with George Senator, Ruby's roommate, who uh, blatantly perjured himself in testimony to the Warren Commission. Said he had no memory of that uh, event. Ruby's attorney, Tom Howard, was the other person at Ruby's apartment. In fact, it was Tom Howard who put forth the preposterous story as to why Ruby shot Oswald. He said he... He couldn't bear the idea of the president's widow being subjected to testifying at Oswald's trial. Well, now that's gotta be one of the silliest things I've ever heard, and that's certainly not a reason to assassinate the president of, um, the person who's allegedly murdered the president. November twenty fourth, nineteen sixty three, a Hunter and Jim Coeth interviewed George Senator. Tom Howard, as I said, was there. Senator and Howard had both visited Jack Ruby in jail. And that evening, Senator arranged for Coeth and Hunter and Howard to search Ruby's apartment. Now, it seems something of important must have transpired at Ruby's apartment that evening. Because a number of strange things happened immediately after. George Senator lied about the meeting ever having taken place. Coeth, as I said, was killed with a karate chop and his Kennedy notes disappeared. Hunter was shot because a cop played around and pointed a loaded gun at him, which police are trained from day one not to do. And Tom Howard, the fourth and last person who was at Ruby's apartment that night, also died. of a heart attack, March 27, 1965, at the age of 48. A little uh, hard to believe. Tom Scully, another researcher, made an interesting observation. He said, too many who approached Jack Ruby's role in an inquisitive way, Coop Tenet through his daughter, Karen, Darth Kilgallen, and the uh, the guest at George, uh, George Senator at uh, Jack Ruby's apartment, all met. with was soon an untimely death. you got to ask yourself, at what point do you say It can't be coincidence. Another name that uh, was well known, who also died a mysterious death, was Dorothy Kilgallen. Nationally syndicated columnist, a panelist on What's My Line. Died of a high level of barbiturates combined with alcohol. The official verdict? Accidental, don't you know? Or maybe it was suicide. Well, she told friends she would obtained information regarding the Kennedy assassination of bust this case wide open, and she vowed she'd crack this case. She was the only reporter who obtained a private interview with Jack Ruby after he shot Oswald. And after the interview, she told friends she was about to blow the case sky high. She implied she was saving important information gathered from that interview and from her investigation, including a book she was working on, which she felt certainly be a blockbuster. It was called Murder One. Now, she was aware of the untimely suspicious death of reporters Bill Hunter and Jim Coath. gave a backup copy for her JFK chapter to her close friend, uh, Florence Pritchard Smith. Now, the death scene in her apartment was uh, obviously staged, and her book notes disappeared. Coincidentally, there's that word again, Florence Pritchett Smith died the next day, and the backup notes with Dorothy had given her friend were never located either. Now, if you were a homicide investigator looking into the death of Dorothy Kilgallen, you'd have had a number of questions because whoever staged the crime scene, and there's no question it was staged, at Dorothy Kilgallen's home, made a lot of mistakes. Now, she was a famous news reporter whose uh, gossip column was read by millions of people on almost a daily basis. She was so famous, in fact, that uh, she herself became a Hollywood-type celebrity. She was a regular guest on the popular TV show What's My Line? I still remember her nailing guest after guest after guest. But what made her famous, as far as the Kennedy assassination was, uh, was a different matter. It was the fact she'd been trusted with highly confidential information by Jack Ruby. He was the man who silenced uh, Kennedy's alleged assassin. And Dorothy Kilgallen was, in fact, the only reporter allowed to an exclusive private interview with Ruby at the Dallas jail. Apparently, Ruby requested it. Now, what transpired during that interview is still unknown due to Dorothy's um, premature death, but right after the interview took place, Dorothy promised she'd break the Kennedy case wide open, and her new book would include the information she had received. Her information, apparently in reference to one of her upcoming columns, uh, that contained an excerpt from the book, was specific. And her exact words to a friend were: "In five more days, I'm going to bust this case wide open." Well. Keep in mind that she was one of the most popular newspaper columnists in the country. She'd been using her column to attack the gaping holes in the official version of the Kennedy assassination and the obvious cover-up taking place, which uh, she urged her readers to question. She was found dead on the third floor of her five-story Manhattan apartment house just off Park Avenue. Medical examiner determined she died from acute ethanol and barbiturate intoxication and also noted circumstances undetermined. And this was linked directly to the Kennedy assassination by the fact that she openly attacked the cover-up and whitewash in her very prominent newspaper column. She was the only reporter who was granted a private interview with Jack Ruby after he murdered Oswald. She took a lot of notes but hadn't yet shown anybody what she had written. She was apparently saving, as I said, all this information for her upcoming book murder one, which she was sure would be a blockbuster, and blow the lid off the cover-up surrounding the assassination. Now, the copy of the book that came out did not include the JFK material. The book was published posthumously. It's known that she had extensive notes from her research as well as her private interview with Jack Ruby. In fact, it was known some of her friends uh, that she typically carried those notes around on her person because that's how important they were to her. But a search of her apartment after her body was found, you no notes, no material on Kennedy, not even preliminary information could have been included in her upcoming book. And it was rumored that uh, Dorothy's friend of many years fellow. Journalist Flo Pritchard had had a torrid affair with Jack Kennedy, along with many others, both before and after he became president. Your friends reported their romance lasted many years and was one of only two such affairs that the president thought were uh, serious and long lasting. The other one was with Mary Myers, whose uh, murder we will cover. Dorothy reportedly gave a backup copy of her notes on the Kennedy case to Flo Pritchard. She died allegedly of leukemia, or should we say a fast-acting cancer, one day after Dorothy Kilgallen herself died. And the JFK material that Dorothy had given her was not located in her Manhattan apartment either. Well, now Dorothy Kilgallen became one of the most revered reporters in the country. Her column was read by most people in Hollywood, in government, and generally in the population in general. Her information pipeline was incredible. seemed to know everything about everybody, and her style was gossipy and bold, which made her column utterly fascinating. Probably more than any other reporter at the time, she had her finger right on the pulse of what the public wanted to find out about. She was the only reporter who broke the story about the hot romantic affair between Marilyn Monroe and the Kennedys. Next day, Marilyn was murdered. Well, officially, it was suicide. The director believed she'd been set up by the person who tipped her off to the affair by somebody who was trying to implicate the Kennedys in Marilyn's death. And it would appear that uh, those fears were well-placed. By 1964, she seemed to be on top of something else, and she gave a lot of hints about what she knew about the Kennedy assassination. Now, Jack Ruby himself was a TV fan of Darth Kilgallen. took a liking to her during the trial. He respected her more than any other reporter, and as a result of her status in journalism, she gained his confidence and had several conversations with him in the courtroom. Well, she took a lot of notes at that meeting, and bragged to her friend she was about to break the case, and proved beyond a shadow of a doubt there was a conspiracy to kill Kennedy. She had a reputation as a steely, high-integrity, uh, incredibly astute reporter who could not be bought at any price. And that's rare. Throughout her career, she consistently refused to identify any of her sources, whenever a government agency questioned her. And that might have posed a threat to the alleged JFK conspirators. If you look at her col- uh, comments and columns in their totality, the uh, she seems to have put together some very important points that were highly pertinent to the JFK assassination. And she made some extremely interesting points. First, there was a connection between Jack Ruby, Dallas police officer Tippett, who Oswald allegedly shot, and a Texas oil millionaire, probably H.L. Hunt, um, whom many places uh playing a role in organizing the assassination. And Oswald was in too many places at too many times and seen by too many offering descriptions um, to be the movements of one individual. In fact, he took a test drive, but he couldn't drive. Um, He went to a gun range and shot at other people's targets as if he was trying to press on them what a good shot he was. She determined Oswald had linkage to U.S. intelligence, and U.S. intelligence was nervous about it and covering up about uh, their relationship with him. Now, that Marina Oswald, who herself was suspected by the CIA of being a KGB asset, knew the truth about Oswald. If she ever told it, then dramatically altered public perceptions of the assassination, according to one of her columns. The people knew the whole story of her life with president kennedy's alleged decision that it split up on the front pages of newspapers all over the world um well, i've got uh, evidence that indicates that the oswald that came back from russia wasn't the oswald that went I mean, something was rotten right in denmark and kilgan knew it even if uh, according to one of her columns even if marina Oswald explained why her late husband looks so different in an official police photo on the widely printed full-length picture featured on the cover of Life magazine. It will cause a sensation. Said this story ain't gonna die as long as there's a real reporter alive, and there are a lot of them. She also knew that the real Oswald story is being suppressed. One of her columns she wrote, it appears Washington knows or suspects something about Lee Harvey Oswald that they not want Dallas and the rest of the world to know or suspect. Lee Harvey Oswald is passed on not only to his shuttly reward, but to the mysterious realm of classified persons who hold stories known to only a few government agents. So you have to ask yourself, why has Os- Oswald been kept in the shadows? as dim figure as they can make him while the defense tries to rescue his alleged killer with the help of information from the FBI. So that raises the question, who was Oswald? Gilgallan herself had strong links to the anti-Castro community. It was rumored she was a CIA media asset, which would make sense. They regularly fed her information for column that originated from the same anti-Castro camps that Oswald was immersed in. She's uh, expressed no- foreknowledge in her column that Marilyn had been having an affair with President Kennedy and then with Attorney General Robert Kennedy. And she realized that it may have been linked to Marilyn's death. Marilyn Monroe was not the airhead that everybody thought she was. Had a very high IQ and very well read. Dorothy told friends whom she trusted she was very close to discovering who really killed JFK. She also explained to friends that the reason she hadn't gone public yet on her private interview with Jack Ruby was because she was putting it all together to put in her new book. Which she's very excited about and confident would be a bestseller. Uh, she was, according to her closest friends, experiencing some financial problems, and she saw the book as the answer to them. So the rumor was that she had a lot of information she hadn't yet talked about. She also told friends she knew she was under surveillance, and as I said, she gave a copy of her JFK notes to a friend as a backup for protection. She had expressed to close friends she had received death threats, and if certain individuals found out what information she possessed, it would definitely get her killed. She would planned a trip to New Orleans. It was very cloak and daggerish, and told friends she'd break the case within the next five days. And she's found dead right before that trip to New Orleans was supposed to take place. She had pieced together some of the main players that she believed played key roles in the Kennedy assassination crew, including David Ferry and Texas billionaire H.L. Hunt, realized that Jack Ruby had been involved and she was investigating Ruby's connections to the Texas Mafia run by Carlos Marcello and the Dallas police officers, uh, including J.D. Tippett, um, who also, um, shall we say, had a hand in the till. She obviously had noted it was far too coincidental that Ruby, prior to the assassination, had known Oswald Ferry and Tippett. James Bond said uh, once as happenstance, twice as coincidence, three times as enemy action. Well well beyond three times, folks. When well, on november eighth, nineteen sixty five, Dorothy Kilgallen was found dead in her apartment shortly after returning from Dallas, where she'd interviewed Jack Ruby, and she had actually conducted her own private investigation of the JFK murder during several trips to cover the Ruby trial. She'd revealed secret transcripts of Ruby testimony in her column. She had met with Ruby. Privately, she learned of a meeting three weeks before the assassination at Ruby's uh, carousel, cell, the Dallas Underworld's merry-go-round, while the big D-mobsters wheeled around. Present at that meeting were Ruby, J.D. Tippett, Bernard Weissman, and a fourth party. It's also a fact that when uh, Dorothy returned to New York, she told friends she discovered Ruby and Tippett had been friends. They'd been seen together in Ruby's Carousel Club at a meeting two weeks before the assassination in the company of Bernard Weissman. That's the man who placed the JFK wanted for treason newspaper ad in Dallas newspapers on November 22, 1963. Studying the Warren Commission report, Kilgallen the, deduced that the meeting had also been reported to Chief Justice Warren and that the identity of the fourth man that she'd been ascertained had been reported to uh, Warren as a uh, rich Texas oil man which is how Earl Warren described him in the official transcript. She also said she discovered something's going to break the whole Kennedy assassination mystery wide open. She told the same story to her next-door neighbor, her hairdresser, her agent, her publisher, and producer and host of Nightlife. Well, a lot of researchers have suggested that a suspicious individual named Ron Pataki, a young debonair man who had be- become a close friend with Dorothy, may have been involved in her death, Pataki had been accused of having links to the CIA and of attending assassination training. Implication was that his sudden friendship with Dorothy was insincere and actually just a means to gain access to her in order to suicide her. Well, that's certainly an interesting uh, suggestion and leads to some explosive connections. Now, contrary to the common currents of... uh, human nature which tend to tackle the crime by finding the killer and marrying up that killer to the act. That's not really the proper way to solve a crime. It's first necessary and proper to correctly identify the crime. So the question becomes, was Dorothy Kilgallen murdered? And if that's the case, then you need to step-by-step lay out the case. The official version is she accidentally mixed too much booze with her barbiturates and that killed her. In most of the cases that we have discussed and will discuss, we'll explore the facts of each detail and see where they logically take us. Now, while there was murder or suicide, the, uh, The official version is simply impossible. Not only was Dorothy Kilgallen too intelligent and too cautious to recklessly uh, mix booze and barbiturates, as the official version implies, there are huge problems with the official story. If Dorothy accidentally mixed too much booze with too many barbiturates, then why did someone very carefully spend hours after she died carefully staging the crime scene and, in the process, making some very amateurish mistakes? The many incongruities present at the death scene brings to mind the words of the Chief of Investigative Support Unit the FBI Academy, whose, uh, Been so uh, professional in his career that he's been cited in a number of books. Among the red flags, uh, he talked about offenders who stage crime scenes usually make mistakes because they arrange the sen- scene to resemble what they believe it should be look should look like. And in doing it, the offenders experience a great deal of stress and do not have don't have the time to fit all the pieces together logically. As a result, inconsistencies in forensic findings, the overall big picture of the, of the crime scene will begin to appear. Now, even if you ignore the fact that a famous reporter working on the biggest story of her career is very unlikely to commit suicide or otherwise uh, overdose, there are some extremely bizarre oddities in the death of Dorothy Kilgallen. Her body was found in a bed that friends and family knew she never slept in. And uh, before you underestimate the gravity of this particular point, Dorothy's hairdresser who discovered her body uh, said, when I tell you the bed she was found in and how I found her, you're going to know she was murdered. She's found wearing what was ultimately being described as a peignoir or a bolero-type blouse over a nightgown. The thing which those who knew her best stated was certain that she would never wear to go to bed. So if you don't know what a penoir is, it's a thing that Dorothy O'Gallon would never, ever wear to bed. Actually, it's a blue bed jacket in this particular case, but apparently something hard, not even imaginable, um, that Dorothy would put on. And that came from her hairdresser, and and one thing about hairdressers, they do know their customers thoroughly. She was in bed with makeup and her false eyelashes. on, which friends and family said she would never wear to go to sleep. It was a book on her bed, which though she was reading it before she passed out. But it was a book she'd already read. She discussed it with a number of friends. She used a set of reading glasses to read books. There was no reading glasses anywhere near her, so she couldn't have read the book, even if she hadn't read it before. Laboratory testing on a glass found near her revealed traces of one barbiturate. But the autopsy revealed she was killed by a cocktail of small doses of three different barbiturates, forming a lethal combination with alcohol. So the scene was set to make it look like she'd simply taken some pills and gone to bed and passed away. If that's the case, where did the two barbiturates come come from? The air conditioner was left on, which she never did at night because the house got unbearably cold. And it was cold when her hairdresser arrived. And the investigation into her death, if there was one at all, was what you might call a soft pedal rather than a serious investigation you'd rightfully expect from the sudden death of a nationally respected news personality. They didn't want to solve the case. There's not nearly as much forensic information on her death as there should have been, for even a typical non-celebrity death, and what does exist is somewhat vague and self-contradictory. Cassie Pernod, the author of The Kid Gallant Files, an online educational site dedicated to learning more about Dorothy's life and death, uh, had interesting points to make. She also had a special investigator's zeal and dedication that uh, lends well to years of specific research focused on one topic, She also had a forensic background, having seen lots of bodies come across the table. According to her, the scene was staged. The autopsy findings, well, the lividity posterior involving the left neck and face versus how she was discovered, propped up in bed, her head tilted, proved she died in a different position than she was found in. A position that promoted an accidental death. Medical implication of the lividity markings on the back of the left neck and face imply the body of the victim was actually not in a proper position at the time uh, of death. and how they indicates the body of the victim was moved after they were already dead. And knowing she was moved uh, brings into question everything that was found at the scene. Now, Dorothy's Blood Alcohol Concentration, or her BAC, was 0.15, which although legally intoxicated by contextual standards is pretty much just a normal late night after work in 1965 for a very sociable celebrity who was known to be a regular drinker. She was not by any means excessively inebriated, as was attested by witnesses who saw and heard her in a time period close to her final moments. Much more news- noteworthy was the exotic combination of drugs that killed her three distinctly different barbiturates found in relation to her death. There was amobarbital, commonly known as tuanol, pentobarbital, known as Nimbital, and sicobarbital, known as uh, secanol. Overdose of any of these drugs would cause unconsciousness in 5 to 15 minutes, and death anywhere between 20 to 50 minutes. But in combination, they are particularly lethal. And interestingly, it was the exact right amount and combination to actually kill her it was a level of only about five pills of each of these three drugs and according to uh, that Cassie Parnell the researcher it's interesting to see that the approximation of the amount of pills in her system at the time she died is in line with the relative precise amounts needed to cause death the amount of pills estimated in her system don't lean toward incredibly more pills than the minimum lethal dose, as most suicides by pills do. Um, In other words, the fact that the exact amount of drugs found in her system, the equivalent of 15 to 20 pills, barely were enough to kill her, only the fact that they had been combined with some alcohol made them a fatal dose. And that presents a huge problem. If she was trying to commit suicide, then she didn't take nearly enough pills. And a number of doctors who studied the case agree the dosage wasn't in the range medically expected for suicide. And the suicide theory presents another problem. She was stood up, spurned, or in any way emotionally ravaged by Ron Pataki and driven to suicide. She didn't take the kind of massive dose consistent with that rage. And there were plenty of pills in the house. Had she come home resolute and seething, she would have availed herself of a virtual pharmacopoeia. Um, It didn't take pills to commit suicide, but it isn't possible she took that many pills accidentally either. It appears that it would be difficult to ingest 15 to 20 pills accidentally. And since she was seen at the 1 o'clock in the morning hour and appeared to be in control of herself, just a little high and her time of death was estimated to be around 2 in the morning. It doesn't seem feasible her to have been so stoned out of her gourd to have accidentally taken five pills three times. The pills were in a perplexedly moderate range. Too many to be an accident, too few, for, too few for suicide, but with the alcohol enough to kill her. And most of her medical records and a lot of medical studies related to her death are available for study online at KilgallenFiles.com. In short, she overdosed, but the number of pills that were approximated in her system followed within a window of suspicion. It's the perfect amount. The only reason it resulted in her death was because the effects of the drug was multiplied due to the alcohol. Most likely died quickly, but she would have had trouble breathing, which may have been stressful to the body. So we need to look at availability presence of of the drugs, presence of the drug's uh, quantity, the actions of the drugs, in other words, the time it takes to do anything, and the effects of the drugs, such as automatic regurgitation when the body attempts to reject the toxins. All of these factors point to foul play. Now, you can rule out natural causes, She had some substance abuse issues, but the autopsy revealed she would have had no cirrhosis of the liver. She was a healthy 52-year-old woman. Can rule out suicide. On the night she died, she performed live on TV and was great. And as was customary, after the show, she went out for cocktails, socialized, wasn't depressed, and she excited about her upcoming book and told friends that information would shock the world. All of her friends who were talked to said she was not suicidal. Can realize an accident. The exotic combination of fast-acting barbiturates found in her body, and sure as she wouldn't have taken them accidentally or absent-mindedly. And it's established at least as late as two twenty in the morning she was her usual self and completely coherent, but by four she was dead. Would it have been an accident? She'd have had to mistakenly taken at least five capsules of each of the three different drugs inside of an hour. And it bears noting the common knowledge among her friends that her regular drink was like tonic. Tonic contains quinine, which is known for its ability to amass the bitterness of barbiturates when somebody slips a personal leaf of combination of drugs known as a Mickey Finn. Or... And her death had many signs that it was an obvious crime scene staging. Well... After everything is considered, there's no question she was murdered, probably done as a national security assassination. In other words, authorized by our government. Notes for her upcoming book, including the backup copy she gave to a friend, all vanished from the face of the earth. It's uh, interesting to note that every possible location was searched. For her K- JFK notes, they were not found anywhere. Not a single mention of JFK was found in anything in her apartment. And that's with her inquisitive nature. I don't think that's logical or possible. Well, that and Noah come to the end of the day show. We'll be back tomorrow and talk about more of the Kennedy murders. Until then, this is Ken Hodnell for the Ken Hodnell Show, saying have a truly... Great evening.